Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensvi, and I'm your host. And I want to explain a little bit about the podcast before we start the show this week. This podcast is an opportunity for me to speak with some of the most interesting people I know that I can find on the internet. So either with amazing talents or achievements or just unbelievable life stories or invaluable insights into areas that they have dedicated their lives to studying. I sit down with these amazing individuals from all across the world. Really, I, I've talked to people from Slovenia to the Czech Republic to Australia to countries in Africa and South America, uh, really just all over the world. And I try to ask them the questions that will hopefully help you extract something valuable or learn something new or just get inspired by. And I do hope that you do get inspired by these talks with some sort of a call to action, maybe change something that you wanted to change for a while, or even just enjoy, you know, detaching from the world for an hour and listening to some great conversations. So whatever it is that you get from this, I do hope that you extract something from it and enjoy the conversations. All these episodes are available on all the major podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google, and the rest of them. You can also find the episodes on my website, which is RoyBensV.com. You can find a lot of other information about me there as well, from photos to a little bit more insights into who I am, if you're interested. And you know, you can always go to social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. I'm pretty active on both those platforms, although the only ones I have, and um, I try to post regularly so you can stay up to date. And also be sure to, you know, put your email on the website. Uh, I shoot emails out with updates, news, any new current information that I have will be sent via those emails and social media platforms. So yeah, make sure you're in the loop. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This week, we have Billy and Sierra. And similar to, to an episode I had a couple of weeks back with Bo and Brandy, Billy and Sierra have been living on boats for the last, I don't know how many years, but a good amount of time. And with, essentially, they're a little bit different. They've been switching out boats, working on some, fixing them up. And like Billy said in the beginning, they bought a boat early on for 500 bucks, and then again later on for 800 bucks. So they're really good at buying an old boat that's a fixer-upper and doing that, fixing her up, and then either living on it, sailing on it, and just really enjoying that type of lifestyle. And more and more, I've been really, I've been going down this rabbit hole of alternative lifestyle, digital nomads, people who are, you know, living in different countries or on a boat or just something out of the norm for a while now because I guess COVID is is one factor, but I've always been interested in it. And I think we're seeing COVID now expand people's horizons, people's way of thinking as to how they should live. And if they don't need that physical proximity to the workplace, there's really no reason for them not to explore different places, different lifestyles, potentially living in a RV, living on a boat flying all over the world, just different ways. Like if you don't have to go to the office in the morning, why not go and look into buying a house in the mountains somewhere in Utah or in New Hampshire or wherever you want. So 
there is definitely this massive trend happening right now of people, an exodus of sorts that people are leaving the city and going and exploring these new ways. And out of all the bad things that have happened in 2020, this is probably one of the better things that have happened. You know, obviously there's a downside to that with economies failing and the places of, of, of the, you know, where people are leaving, usually the big cities, but it's just, it is what it is. Other people are going to benefit. Other areas are going to benefit from it. So you have to take the, the good with the bad. And I think it's, it's a paradigm shift that's happening and people are exposed to new places, new ways of living. So I think overall, it's a, it's a big plus for people's consciousness, for people's mental health, just being out and about more and exploring more and seeing new things. Uh, I think that's a massive education and a massive shift in the way we see things. It was a lot of fun talking to Billy and Sierra. We covered a lot of topics from how they live daily, what their routines are, how their dog adjusted to the boat life, and uh, sounded like she adjusted pretty well. And uh, it seems like uh, Bo and Brandy's dog did too. So it seems like uh, most dogs seem to adapt to that lifestyle pretty well. And they're super adaptable. Wherever you go, as long as you're with them and you treat them well and you love them, they're happy to, to, to come on board metaphorically and physically. You know, we talked about what it's like now that they're off the boat. Um, they're waiting for their new boat, which should come, uh, I guess, sometime soon. And then hopefully they can get back out in the water where they really enjoy and, and love being. And it was interesting to see how and this is a, nar- a narrative and a story I keep seeing is that you don't necessarily need to be a world-class captain or salesperson. You just have to have the determination and some sort of a know-how and know that if you keep learning at it and keep trying new things, you will learn. You know, If you have the eagerness to learn, you'll be able to eventually get to a, to a high enough level. And you know, if you look at the videos, Billy and Sierra, they, they really know their stuff on the boat. We also discussed the ways in which they sustain themselves with food, which is mainly spearfishing. And it's really interesting. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, it's going to be on the episode. But the way that they eat is probably one of the most, if not the most sustainable way. Spearfishing where there's no collateral damage. And yeah, we, we touch on that in the episode. Make sure you stay tuned. All the way to the end, we even talk about the way in which sailors back in the day had to navigate not having any of the electronics and digital access that we have nowadays and how hard that must have been and it, how interesting it would be to do something similar like this today. I know I, you know, I couldn't get from where I am to 10 minutes away by car if I didn't have some sort of uh, navigation equipment with me. And I think we're all extremely reliant on it and it definitely made our life easier, but everything that's good comes with a little bit of a a touch of bad. So it's a little bit of a crutch. You know, we kind of lost some of our um, intuition, some of our know-how, and we've offloaded that onto these little machines that have made our lives substantially easier. And, you know, they give us access and time to put more of our efforts into uh, the things we love. At least that is the 
precipice on which some of these things and tools were built. I had a blast talking to Billy and Sierra. They're up in Maine right now, and actually not too far away. Maybe we'll uh, have to drive up and, and visit them at some point. But we really, uh, I really had a blast talking to them. I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed learning about the lifestyle, and I'm starting to get inspired by all these people I'm talking to. Maybe I'll have to buy a boat one day soon and uh, sail <laughs> sail somewhere. I should probably learn sailing first, though. So without further ado, here are this week's guests, Billy and Sierra. Enjoy the podcast. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Billy and Sierra, how you guys doing? Good, good. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, with you. thanks, Roy. <laughs> yeah, man, I've been uh, wanting to talk to you guys for a while. I'm, I've like recently, I've really been into this. I think probably a lot of people because of COVID and, and the way work is happening, but into this alternative lifestyle, into a different way of you know looking at how we can live. And I think I've I've always been interested, but I think recently I've gone more into these rabbit holes where I'm like, is there another way? And you see like countries, right? Like. Um, there was some country in the Caribbean, I forget, I think it was uh, maybe Barbados and then Estonia and all these different countries offering like visas for digital nomads to come and work there because you can actually work from anywhere nowadays. Like you can make money living on a boat or up in the mountains or in the city. And uh, yeah, I just like the lifestyle. And uh, that's why I wanted to talk to you guys today. Oh, well, awesome. awesome. We've it's- definitely lived a number of different ways on the water <laughs> on land so we're excited to tell you all about it yeah that, that's pretty cool that there's places offering some incentives for for they see the opportunity because it is so true especially now yeah people can work from anywhere yeah yeah there's um i, I think it was barbados if i'm i could be mistaken but they did a whole campaign uh I, I saw in estonia as well and i mean it's smart right like you know as long as i guess you get tested for for covid and, and you're fine why not? Why not go work in these really great places? You know, and, and obviously it's it's so alluring, right? Like, oh, work by the beach and the beautiful, uh, you know, oceans and the sunsets and I don't know, my tie in a coconut. It's just whatever. It's like, yeah, I, I could do that. Why would I want to live in a little apartment in New York City where I can be working by the beach doing the exact same thing on my computer? Absolutely. It's true. <laughs> So how did the whole thing start for you guys? I mean, how long how long have you been actually so now you don't live on a boat, but you up until recently you you lived on a boat, right? For a long time. Yeah, so we're actually in between two different boats right now because boat living on the boat is definitely our favorite thing in the world to do. Um so we're selling one and we're in the process of buying another. So right now we're actually living in a truck camper, but you start with how it all started cuz yeah, I guess if you want to do the whole story, okay, keep it uh, yeah. short. But um, ah, keep it long. Don't worry about it. We got all the time in the world. <laughs> um, I guess I, I've always been into boating. Sierra has two growing up. She grew up in Florida, Jupiter, Florida. I grew up in Long Island, New York. Um, and I lived for the summers, um, you know, all through middle school and high school. And we always went out in the boat. And I guess, uh, yeah, I just lived for it. When I got into college, I became an ocean lifeguard and uh, me and my friends and some of my family uh, helped me fix up an old houseboat. And we took this houseboat across to Fire Island where we lifeguarded and we just kept it anchored over there. And me and my friends would stay on it, you know, during the summer. And that was like our beach house. And we'd lifeguard during the day and, you know, hang out at night over there. And, you know, it was a great lifestyle. It was only two months out of the year, as as you know. Um, 
So from there, once I graduated college, I decided I want to try to do something like this, you know, year round. And uh, a, a few years after college, I bought this. Uh, well, I was getting my foot in the door as a teacher because teaching is a really good career on Long Island. So I was an aide at like a, you know, behavioral and special ed school and just started to take my prereqs for teaching and stuff like that. Um, and I bought this old uh, this old small sailboat that I started to fix up and, you know, I was starting to near completion with it, you know, a year later. And I said, you know what, I, I can't get into this teaching career right now. Cause if I do, I'm never going to let it go. So, um, you know, I, I quit that job and a week before Thanksgiving back in like 2013 or something, 2014, maybe? a while ago, I, I set sail South and, uh, alone, and um, it was cold. It was wet. It was. I learned a lot. Um, I barely knew how to sail, really. And uh, yeah, I made it. Basically, long story short, I made it all the way down to Florida. Um, things were breaking. My engine broke down in Jupiter. I was. I was looking for a town to stop and you know take a break and start working and save up some more money again. And when my engine broke down in Jupiter, that's where you know that's where I stopped and I started walking around town looking looking for a job and. Uh, Sierra worked at a kite and paddleboard shop there. And, uh, you know, that was one of the places I applied because I was a kiteboard instructor and I was into paddleboarding and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, and that's where I got a job. And, and he's been stuck with me ever since. <laughs> Sierra and I were friends for, for a good chunk of time before nice to be. and we worked together and stuff. And, and yeah, I, you know, took it from there. And then one, one point I want to get across, because a lot of people think you have to have a lot of money to be able to live this alternative lifestyle. But for that first houseboat, how much did you buy it for? Yeah, I bought it for 500 bucks. It was really completely gutted. It was dirty. It was disgusting. But we rebuilt it and we just we cleaned it up. And um, it wasn't a perfect Bristol finish boat, but it was, um, you know, we made it livable. We made it look pretty decent on the outside. So it's not an eyesore. And uh, yeah, and it was great. And then Tula? How much did you pay for yep, but I found this old small pocket cruising sailboat in a boatyard and it, I noticed it year after year just sitting there. So I went to the boatyard and made an offer and um, basically I told them I'd take it off their hands for them. And uh, they said, well, well uh, how about you just give us 800 bucks and we'll put it in the water for you. And I said, all right, deal. And I spent really? a year fixing it up and yeah. So if you're willing to learn how to do the work yourself, you can definitely do this kind of living on any kind of budget really yeah it, it takes a lot a lot of work and i always say like if you have if you have a really good career a really good job like it might be you might be better off spending your time doing that job than you know doing this other work but then you don't get the benefits of like learning how all your systems work on the boat and learning how experience. to repair things and they always yeah so it's a balance but yeah i mean i i when i look at the videos um dumbfounded at how much you know you know i'm like you seem like you're a i don't know like you have a background in mechanical engineering or something like you just you know so much about how to fix things same with the car same with the boats you know me you know if if, if it was me and, and my wife on that boat and and, <laughs> and things broke down i mean you know we would just die i, I have no idea how to fix things it was it would just be very sad story so I mean, did you have a background or is this something you literally just learned as you, you know, as you went and, and maybe looked up some YouTube videos? 
Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, the only background I had was uh, uh, some tech classes in high school, which were amazing. I recommend those for anyone, you know, any high school kid interested in this kind of stuff, um, wood, woodworking and plastics and metal shop and stuff like that. And, uh, and then just, you know, my dad worked on boats, you know, nothing professional, just basic like sanding and, you know, maybe a little fiberglass and stuff like that. And lots of trial and error. But, but yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's, you find a problem, you research, 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 all the answers are online basically. And, you know, find the solution and then, and then, you know, attack it. And, and that's why it was great for us, you know, starting with these old broken down boats, because you really can't lose, like, it's not like we have a brand new boat that you can mess up and make worse. Like these things, yeah. you know, you can only make better and learn along the way, which was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a passion project, right? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, if when you started this, was this... I mean, it, you, so you guys met in, in Jupiter, Florida, and then you start talking, or maybe, you know, you start dating, you start forming a relationship and then at what point do you think to yourselves all right we just want to go live on a boat for the rest of our lives it was this kind of just an organic evolution of things or was this a, a concrete decision on on your part it kind of just emerged really like we had been dating for a while and then i and, had and the whole time i was still living on that small yeah. sailboat in florida while i was working you know at the shop and stuff and you were living at your parents house but for the longest time we had never gone out sailing like you were kind of just like planted and i totally get it now because you had spent months and months sailing in the cold by yourself like i wouldn't want to leave <laughs> anytime either. i would want to have some sort of a like a planted life but then um i had grown up grown up going over to the bahamas and i kept telling that i was like you have this boat like why don't we go over there so eventually like we packed it all up got all ready and we headed over except we didn't make it the entire way we made it like halfway and we literally weren't moving and it was just another learning experience like we didn't plan the right weather we didn't plan a lot of stuff we should have so we ended up turning around and going to the keys and we spent like two months sailing around the keys and it was awesome we definitely learned that we needed a bigger boat <laughs> yeah that that was basically sierra's like first time first time on a sailboat first time living on a boat like long term and yeah it was a pretty small boat it was only a 26 foot um sail monohull sailboat which is pretty small pretty it, it was basically like camping yeah there was like yeah. <laughs> a bed. there was no shower there was not none of that um yeah so we got back from that trip and I was still in college and you had wanted to go back up lifeguarding and you're like, well, you need an internship. Like my cousin works, um, he's getting his PhD. He definitely needs an intern. So why don't you come up to New York? And, um, one of our friends saw this really good deal on a boat and he's like, maybe you guys could like try to fix up that one. So it was, a, we tried to find boats that are like listed kind of under the radar, but have like a good pedigree. So we know we can fix them up and then make some, hopefully make some money in the long run. And that's what we did. Um, one of our good friends, Brian, he had a friend who knew somebody who was selling a boat and we're like, okay, well, let's go look at it. And we bought it. Yeah. So we sold Tula down to Florida. We bought this old trawler up in Long Island and we fixed it up and that was the next, you know, our next boat. How is it going from, you know, even for me when, when I, so when I, I live in Connecticut now and, and when I have to go back to New York now, it's such a, it's such a mind fuck. It's like you, you from going to, 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 from trees and hiking trails and seeing animals in the backyard to just concrete jungle. It takes me like a week to readjust. Like, do you feel the same, like going off, of, you know, just being out in the, 
ocean, just beautiful skies, you know, the beach, everything, the, the, the freedom that that affords you. And then you go into this concrete jungle. Does it take a while to kind of adjust back at least mentally? Definitely, definitely, definitely. And it, it kind of, for us, it's like living on the boat, like in these islands and then coming back to where you can like go to the grocery store and like have a car and like there's fast food and you don't have to like catch your own fish. It's definitely like major shock. It's nice for a little while, but then we always crave to like get away from it. Yeah. And, and it's for us, it's probably not so much of an adjustment. Um, I mean, it is, it's wild. It's different, but we're always doing different things, going to different places. So we're used to change. Um, but it is surreal sometimes, like, especially like coming back to Florida after months out in the Caribbean or, you know, we were last time we were there for over a year, you know, the Caribbean and Bahamas and stuff. It's wild coming back to like American civilization. <laughs> and I mean, do you have a plan and, you know, do you just kind of wing it as you go? Like, let's say now you're, you're waiting for the, for the new boat, right? And do you have a plan All right, for the next two years or a year, we're going to do X or are you just like, you know what, let's take it. Let's see where we want to go. Just organic. A little bit of both because we have to plan for seasons. Like on the boat, we have to know where we're going to be for hurricane season. And with the truck right now, we're really kind of just basing it off of where we want to be for the holidays. Because last year we on we were on the boat in the middle of nowhere, like by ourselves. And this year we yeah. really want to spend it with our families. So right now, those are really the only two things. Thanksgiving in New York, Christmas in Florida, and then kind of wide open. We want to try to make it to California, but... And, and in the past, it was kind of, we were just, we planned around work a bit. We were still working seasonally. So we lifeguarded and Sierra did an internship and then she lifeguarded up in Long Island in the summer. And that's what I always did in Long Island in the summer. I used to teach kiteboarding in Florida in the winter and then we travel in between and that kind of, uh, we made our plans according to that, but very, yeah, very, um, big picture plans. Not so much like every detail. We can't do that. We've, yeah. We, you know, we always, we, we try and then you like get set on a plan and then it changes and then you get upset. So we just learn to go <laughs> not with the really, flow. Yeah. We'll make tentative <laughs> plans. We always have, you know, plan B and plan C and, you know, we just go with it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of humbling, right? You realize that you're not in charge. Like even now, I, I, I think so many people had like 2020 plans, right? Like, oh, my goals for 2020. And then it's like, oh, shit, like none, none of that is actually going to come into fruition with, with what happened. And I think for you guys, when you're out on, on, on the ocean and you have weather and all these different logistics that you have to take care of, you have to go get food, you have to fuel. I know there's something that breaks on the, in the motor. So there's so many factors that come into play and it's kind of humbling. You're like, all right, I'm actually not fully in charge of what happens. And maybe, I don't know, it's, it's a kind of a release to know that you're not in charge. It's true. Definitely. Yeah. I could see for some people that might be really tough, but I think we're doing, we do a really good job of just understanding what we can control, what we can plan realistically. And, you know, as long as we have our backup plans and, you know, we don't set things in stone We're we just go with it and it's not too hard for us. And that's come with time though. Cause yes. we used to not do that. We used to have a plan and we do anything in our power to make that plan happen only to realize we just made ourselves absolutely miserable when we could have just stopped, turned around and done it the next day. When yeah. the weather was yeah. there. So especially talking about weather, it's definitely come with <laughs> six years of learning to go with the flow, but I think we're getting better at it. <laughs> do you guys want to switch to, to doing van life for a while um we're con we're doing it 
now just because it's we've always wanted to see like the US and right now we just have a really good opportunity because adrenaline is for sale. We wanted to leave her in a really good spot where people could come look at her. She's clean. She's moved out of. And, and adrenaline's your boat, right? The boat yeah, adrenaline is our current um, catamaran and she's, yeah, like I just said, she's for sale and we're having another one built. Um, the biggest news of our lives in a really long time. Like we've worked really hard and now we can officially like buy a brand new boat, but it takes yeah. a year to build. So we figured in that year, we might as well explore our own country, especially with COVID. Like a lot of countries are not letting um, people from the U.S. in or people from many, many other countries in. So we figured it was a good opportunity. Wow. How, how excited are you about this? Is the first time you're going to have like a brand new boat? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zardini, which was brand new. This is the first time I'll have a big brand new boat. It's yeah, it's going to be wild. We're, we're really excited about it, especially because it's such a... It, it's modern. It's it's got a really nice living space, and it still still has some good performance as a sailing catamaran. So before we talk about this, should we go back because we skipped two boats? We skipped the trawler and adrenaline. Should we talk about them a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So um, after we sold Tula, we bought, like we said, a trawler in New York, and it was a motorboat. And you, like, you had been on a sailboat. We made this big change and there was a lot more living room in this boat than uh, Tula. It was 34 compared to 26, but we still did a lot of work to her. She had a lot of rotted wood, um, but it was awesome. We took it all the way down to the Bahamas, all the way up to Nantucket, like on one single um, engine and big we, single diesel engine and we towed a 50 year old Boston whaler. That was our tender. Yeah. <laughs> and, 16 foot. And we just were kind of on the working our seasonal jobs and looking for internet to upload these videos that we had just started. And it was a blast, but you did, you learned a lot on that boat too, because you had to redo the whole transmission and all that kind of work. You want to go into that a little bit? Well, I mean, I just want to say that like, yeah, that was a cool boat. It was, it had some characters like these, these old trawlers have these really you know, really neat look. They're big single diesel engines. So we always look for these boats that have what we call character. I don't really know how to explain it, but yeah. you know, got a bit of a pedigree and, and they're just cool boats. So that was one of them. And we fixed her up really good. Um, and we sold her a couple of years ago, three, three years ago now, a little over maybe, um, up in Rhode Island. And then right after that, we found this old broken down catamaran that also, well, before that, when we were selling, um, the trawler we had planned for a while that we we're going to sell the boat and get a van or a truck or anything and drive down through central and South America. Like we had planned and saved for that for over a year. Cause we just figured we were on boats for a little bit. Why not try land? And then like the day we were selling the boat, like the day you got the check, you're like, are you sure you want to get off the water? And I was like, well, <laughs> I had been on a catamaran before and I knew they were like super nice. I was like, if you can find us a catamaran, like I'll stay. <laughs> and he searched and searched and searched and found like the most like boat that needed the absolute most work. Um, not a usual catamaran, but she was perfect for our first catamaran. Absolutely. And um, we bought her at a really good deal and we fixed her up for literally three years and sailed her to beautiful, beautiful places. And we learned a lot on that boat. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw the, I saw the new one that you got and it was beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. It's, it's, a, it's like a little home on, on water. 
Exactly, exactly. And she was, um, we realized the difference between the motorboat and the sailboat. Like we sailed thousands and thousands and thousands of miles and have spent under $500 in fuel for the past three years. Like it's a crazy difference. And we've been able to go a lot farther, a lot faster. And we're definitely catamaran people from here on out, I would say. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I've, I've been on one once. Uh, we, I, I did a trip with my friends. I have, I have a friend who, who has a catamaran. Uh, I, I don't know all the specifics like you guys. And I just know it was like big enough for like four guys to be on it. And, um, and we took it from, uh, Israel to Greece and, and that, and that took about three days, I think. Oh, and, wow. then we, and then we, and then we kind of went between like the Greek islands. Um, and honestly, it was one of the most unique experiences I've ever had, even though the whole thing just was just about a week or so, maybe eight days. Um, it was just so, it was just such a different way to, to travel and to see things and experience things. Like you just, you can't do that. You know, like when, when you usually travel, it's, it's on a plane and then you get in a taxi or on a bus and you go to the places that you want to see, and then you do whatever there is. But here it's just, you see it literally from the other side, you see it from the water and you see places just, just, impossible to see if you're not on a boat oh yeah 100 percent. it is it is such a stark contrast to different ways of traveling yeah but it was also you know i first day i had such bad like uh seasickness i was i had to like i had to like lie down is that something that you guys just you don't have anymore or or is it something that maybe doesn't or i don't know just sometimes maybe pops up or I still get it. You you don't get it too much, but every once in a while I'll be sick in a bucket and or just miserable. And but you either deal with it or just don't tell me about it. Yeah, I, I don't really get. I, we we're not the best. Like you know, some people are real sensitive to seasickness. We're we're like in, in between. Um, I'll, I'll feel you know uncomfortable you know, for the first few days at sea or whatever. And then uh, I get used to it. And, and you can do things like, I know some things affect me. Like if I am reading in a cabin or something like that, or, you know, doing, yeah. you know, we'll just avoid those activities or, you know, whatever. Yeah, try our best to avoid those activities. So I, wish, I wish we were some of the people who just, they don't feel it at all. Like, you know, because yeah. that sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. And what, what, what would it be like choppy waters or what, what would cause it? Yeah, just the motion from choppy waters or big swell or anything. For like me, it's normally when it's rough and hot out, so you don't have like a breeze in your face. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it sucks, man. I I, I remember I was I was like because we had shifts that we were supposed to be up up in the um, what do you call it like where the on watch we, yeah yeah I guess on watch and uh, someone had to do my shift because I was like I can't dude I can't do it I have to lie down I'm, I'm about to throw up <laughs> I just felt but then after like the first stage it, it went away and, and it was fine but oh, we definitely got some 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 choppy waters but I'll never forget like once we got to Greece after three days and like you don't see anything for three days it's just it's just open water and then we 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 docked in this place and literally the restaurant was on the thing so like you you t- you know you, you go on land and you're sitting in a table at a restaurant and the guy's, you know, bringing you food. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. This is something I definitely want to do. And it sucks because I haven't been able to do it since. And, um, but it's definitely something, you know, it's, it's, it's a bucket list. And that's why I think people are, you know, at least for me, I'm so attracted to it. Cause I, I experienced it like just a little bit and I know how much fun and how much of a, pers- of a different perspective you get on it. You know, like even just being on that boat for such a long time, 
it's I don't know, you, you you tend to go a little bit introspective. You start to like looking look at things a little bit differently, you have more time to yourself. Like is is that something that you guys experience as well? Absolutely. Definitely, definitely. Things definitely slow down. Um, yeah, you definitely have more time to think and especially once you get out of service, you know, you're you, you, yeah. you as much as you want to, you know, surf through Instagram or whatever, you can't and uh you might we might start reading or playing card games and yeah, just just thinking a lot, and, you know, getting all to the uh, list of stuff you have to get down on the boat, you know, that you keep putting off. And just like nature, like in the Caribbean, we'd wake up and there'd be like turtles, like popping their head up, like right next to the boat and sharks and fish and all these birds. And it's, it's amazing to wake up and realize that you're just on your own little private island. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, you know, you almost like, I don't know, it's in a way, it's almost like you're, you've gone back in time because if you're in, in big cities or whatever, if you're on mainland, for the most part, you see how people interact. It's it's either in groups, it's it's in families or friends, or even with them just by themselves. Like we're just on our phones all day long and we're on the computer all day long. And, and there's less and less human interaction, but you're kind of forced to interact with the person. You know, you're in a little boat. There's not a lot of room. And like you said, this connection isn't always available. So you're kind of forced to interact with the other person. Right? You're kind of forced to live in the moment more and be on less in the virtual world, right? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. 100%. And we we try to have very, because like you said, we work online, so we have to be connected the majority of the time. When we can. Yeah, yeah but when we're not, it's definitely a huge difference. And it's, it's my favorite. Like when we go and we don't have any service, it's the best because nobody else gets to experience that and we get to do it together. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. I mean, is internet kind of opened up the opportunity for you because, you know, let's say, like you said, right now, because people think that this is only um, a lifestyle for people who are rich, right? But like you said, you can buy both $500, $800 but you still have to have income. And maybe 20 years ago, you know, the people who could do it were people who were more wealthy because they had that income so they could buy the boat and then they could live off the income they have. But now with the internet, you know, young people who maybe don't have too much money, they can kind of do what you guys do, right? They can buy a boat, you know, fix it up and then post videos or create content or do whatever they want via the internet. So I'm sure that's something that I, like, do you see more and more people your age maybe trying this lifestyle? Because I see it a lot with with you know YouTube and, and Instagram. You see like van life, boat life, uh, digital nomads, uh, vloggers, you know, traveling the world and then documenting. And, 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 and I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the people you know we become friends with and cruise with are still you know a little bit older, retired couples. But there are plenty of young people doing it and. Uh, it's been amazing to hear everyone's story. Like uh, we, cause we always we're curious, you know, what people do, how, how they're able to do it. And, um, yeah. you know, one of our friends, he's an Australian, he's a welder and he might fly back to Australia every other year or something to weld on an oil rig for a few months and then fly back to the boat and sail for another year. Or just recently, like he found a job in, um, you know, one of the Caribbean islands working on yachts, welding, you know, welding different jobs for this company. Um, oh. Like there was all sorts of stories like that. His wife is a hairdresser, um, so she found a job in the Caribbean as well, just for you know a few months while they save up. And um, I mean, I guess that's not necessarily internet, but uh, yeah, even on the internet, like if you can just 
provide value for someone, whether it's teaching them something or entertaining them or inspiring them, if you can really provide that value, then there's potential to, you know, make an income from that and be able to do it full time. And not even in the whole blogging, blogging world, there's also people that are um, like coders or computer techs or like any kind of thing where you just need um, really internets. Okay. Give me an example. I know one of our friends coding um, or like our friend Darren. Yeah. Graphic design, maybe, you know, anything along those lines. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. We met a friend who worked, he started a company in, I think, Sweden, and he sold it. um, But he was just starting to work for them again remotely as a coder um, while he was sailing around the Caribbean. Or um, Steph is an environmental consultant, like she just needs internet. And all these, so many jobs that you're like, oh, no, you need to be in an office. No, you can work remotely. Just like now, like with COVID, everybody's pretty much working from home. And you could do that on a boat as long as you have internet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a paradigm shift. I, I feel like for all the bad that 2020 has caused, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's caused a lot. I feel like the one mental uh, liberating thing that has happened is is people are not bound to geographical locations in order to have income anymore. You know, I, I think people realize that, shit, I don't have to live in New York, pay this absorbent amount of money to live in a little box. And I can actually, like you said, I can live on a boat or I can, I don't know, go buy a massive house in Utah for the same amount of money. And I can look at the mountains when I wake up in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, and I think the businesses also, you know, are realizing it as well. Like, I think, I feel like the past few years, people have been, you know, it's been kind of shifting in this direction a little bit. People have been starting to work from home a little more and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you're right. COVID is definitely just, you know, it's, it's now proving that it can be done and it's proving it to the employees. And I think the employers, the businesses, you know, I, I bet a bunch of them are realizing that we don't really have to own this huge office space anymore. All our employees could be virtual and that's so much less overhead. Um, I, yeah, I think you're right. We're going to see a huge shift in that direction permanently. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that's why I, I've, I have heard people say that, you know, this is just, it's a wave and we're going to ride it out and then people are going to go back. Cause if like, for example, if you go to Midtown Manhattan, you know, where all the, the office space used to be, it's a ghost town. You know, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's it's substantially less than what it used to be. And, you know, it kind of sucks on the one hand because there's a lot of businesses that depend dependent on those businesses running there, those office spaces, you know, especially food and I know other businesses in the area that depended on it. But on the other hand, it's like it's adapt or die, right? Like you have to figure out that, yeah, it's it's a it's a new it's a new age, right? It's the internet age. Everything's online. Um, all the businesses that are thriving are going to be online. Uh, brick and mortar is. I mean, I'm 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 sure it'll come back at some point, but it's just it's. I just don't ever see it going back to what it was. I just see it evolving and progressing more and more online. Right, right, and and you're right. Like there's there's going to be brick and mortar businesses still, and there's going to be offices still. But yeah, just probably never to the extent it, it it's been right yeah i and that's and that's just my opinion who knows we'll see in five years how you know what happens but it just 
Yeah, you know, and, and I, I feel like the one thing that I kind of that I feel bad that more than obviously everything that happened is is, is horrific. But like, I just feel like there's we've kind of lost trust in, in COVID. And you see this like people have lost trust in, in obviously the, the the institutions, the media, the, the politicians, government, et cetera. But like even the interpersonal ones, like, you know, when I meet someone, there's this like, wait, should I should I shake your hand? Should I hug you? Should I kiss? like, it, no, should I we, we keep distance? And that kind of sucks for me. It's like you can't the interpersonal thing where you're almost scared to touch another person like that's for me. That, that kind of sucks because you want to, you know, you want to hug your friends, you want to hug your family. And when you're, you know, thinking, should I, shouldn't I, is this hug going to cause me, you know, could I be sick? I feel like that more than anything really, really hurts. Definitely. Yeah. Hopefully, at least, hopefully, at least with this virus, you know, I don't know. I don't know what what's going to be the end to it, but hopefully it does end, um, you know, soon, sooner yeah. rather than later. <laughs> Do you guys get any any kind of pressure from your family or friends to to start a, a quote unquote normal life to kind of, you know, get a house, get a mortgage, nine to five, all that stuff? Or, or they're just cool with with the lifestyle? I think most of them are very cool. Your parents are like so on board. My parents are really on board too, but they miss us. Like my mom would yeah. be in absolute heaven if we literally just built a house in her backyard. <laughs> uh, we miss them too, but I think everybody's on board. They love to see where we are. They love to see where we're going and they love to come visit us. So they're, and know, they I, I think in the beginning, my, you know, at least my parents, when I first started sailing, they thought it was, you know, a temporary thing. And, um, that I would, you know, get a job eventually and stuff like that. But we kind of made our created own our own job. And and now they, you know, the success that we're having and they, you know, they know that we're going to be doing this in the long run. And they think it's really cool. They're all of them are really supportive. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I feel like the older generation, they have a bit of a hard time kind of understanding how do you make money from this YouTube stuff or this podcasting stuff? They just, they, they, it takes them a while, but once they understand, I mean, they probably, see and, and follow all your videos right yeah yeah they do and it definitely like you said my, it definitely took my mom a lot longer because she she's a teacher like she's in the education system and like i if i were to stay at home i probably would be a teacher but she's like are you gonna for the first couple of years like are you gonna get like a real job and then started watching my videos and then she started following like other bloggers and like got excited yeah. about them she's like oh like you're like the girl i follow on instagram and i'm like okay like and now they're kind of getting into it and they like to see where it goes and and i see the i see why i see the concern though especially like when we were just starting it and people aren't familiar with it because it's like well you know is this youtube thing just a trend like are you actually making money and blah 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 but like the fact of the matter is that we're not just you know we're not just able to earn income from this but we're also like we're also teaching ourselves and practicing a lot of skills that we could take to you know any other business or any other business we might want to start you know between uh, marketing and, and video editing and you know telling telling a story yeah. yeah physically just working on boats or whatever so you know we are building you know career skills um if we ever were going to do something different yeah and I'm, i think you guys have such a niche you know that not a lot of people have a um have deep knowledge on right and, and when you live it and when you have a community around you if people are looking to get info on that niche 
they're going to come to you and then you can give them their expertise. So I feel like it's such a, and again, this is, this goes back to to the internet. It's such an amazing tool to have to build a platform and expand on that niche. So whenever, you know, people are, and we know, Oh, uh, we're interested in digital nomads living on boat or anything in that realm. You're the people they're going to go to. Yeah. And it feels, it feels really good to be able to provide that to to help people. And, um, and even inspire, like we get, when we meet people in person, like at boat shows and stuff, so many people say, you know, we've inspired them to buy a boat. Really? Um, so cool to hear that. So we're glad that, you know, that we can do that for people. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think, you know, back in the day, we only had really TV and and maybe like radio and and, and those were the people that we looked up to, right? Like uh, musicians and then actors. But with the Internet, now you have, you know, young kids or not even young kids, I guess everybody. And and they kind of look up to or admire or follow YouTubers and TikTok stars and people with uh, big, uh, you know, Instagram. There's people on Twitter that literally made... Uh, I forget what's this girl's name. She does like uh, these Trump impersonations on Twitter. Um, I forget her name, but basically she went from like early this year, she had, I think like zero followers or somewhere close to that. And now she's like at 2 million. Oh, geez. That's insane. Yeah. And then she got her own special, I think on Netflix. So you can literally build your brand online in a very, you know, short amount of time. If you, if, if I guess there's some luck, but if you have skills. Yeah, you have skills and and you work hard at it and you're consistent. I mean, I think those are the keys, really. Yeah. How much time did like did, did you have a background in in, you know, photo editing, taking video, all that stuff or is it's one of those things you also kind of learned as you as you went? You were always interested in it. I was always interested, in not so much not too much photos or yeah. but I did like in high school I took um photography class and they also are we were lucky enough that our high school had a video editing uh class. Um, so I took that as well and, you know, it gave me a good base, like an understanding of like what a storyboard is or, um, you know, different shots and stuff just, just for the background. But yeah, 99% of it is just doing it and learning and doing it and getting better and practicing. And back to the buy cheap boats and live on cheap boats. We, for the first, I don't know, maybe three years used only our iPhone and continue to only use the free version of iMovie for editing. So there's nothing super fancy. Like now we have a different point and shoot camera, but not not the most expensive by any means. Um, Just kind of what works and we try to always improve, but yeah, simple is sometimes better. A hundred percent. And, and there's, um, argument to be made that, you know, and, and I see this with, with startups, like they, uh, they, they put out MVP or they put up a, a, a early stage website or, or app or whatever web or, or, or product that they have. And for the most part, it's not great, but it doesn't matter because it's about what value you're adding to people. And as long as people can connect with whatever content or product that you have out there, you can gradually grow that and improve it, but you have to just, you know, that nugget in the beginning has to just be something of, of value and people just, you know, people grow with you. They, I don't think people expect perfection straight away. They just want something they can connect with. Right. And, and yeah, and that's true in our world as well. I think the reason that we, you know, started to gain a bit of an audience is because people could connect with us because, because we were very natural. We, yeah. we, you know, we didn't over edit things and 
um, we kept things slightly raw and, and yeah, people were able to connect with that. So, you know, maybe take me through what's kind of a, I don't know, a regular day on the boat. You, you, help, you also have a, a dog with you, right? We Je- do. Jetty? Jetty. Jetty. <laughs> um, what, what kind of breed? She is. She's a mix. Um, we got her for a rescue. She's like an Australian cattle dog mixed with something or other. So she's um, about 38 pounds. She's a perfect boat sized dog. Yeah. And he has been to over 11 countries and wow. every second of it. So she, she needs her own passport. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, has one. she got one, oh, yeah. one in the French countries. They issued these pet passports. So we got one. Oh, yeah. Dougie passport. That's awesome. And how is she? Is she adjusted well? She's fine. She's good. Yeah. On the boat. Like she's definitely a boat dog. Like right now we're in the truck camper and she hasn't quite associated the camper with home. Like if you say you want to go to the boat, like she wants to go back to the boat. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. And I know she's going to love the new one. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and like, she's, you know, as far as the, the peeing and everything, I mean, I'm sure I'm assuming when you guys dock, you probably just you know, go, go back, go to the nearest beach or something a few times a day. But when you're off, you know, sailing somewhere, she's adjusted. Yeah, that's exactly right. This is the most common question we get asked probably where's the dog goes back around the boat. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. When we're anchored somewhere, you know, close to shore, we, we bring her two to three times a day, you know, long walks and go on the beach or whatever. But when we are at sea for multiple days at a time, she'll, we have trained her to go up on the trampoline so she's able to, you know, go on the trampoline and then we can, it just falls right through to the ocean or just, you know, she poops, just down. kind of push it over. And that's smart. Yeah, that well, she gets a little nervous. Like if it's a rough out, it'll take her yeah. a little longer to go. Um, yeah. yeah, it works. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're so uh, adaptable. It's, it's unbelievable. Like they're just wherever, you know, wherever man is, dog will be next to him. It's yeah, it's incredible. Even my dog, not that anywhere near what, what you guys, but like I've been to so many different houses and countries and places. And, you know, my dog's been with me for uh, 13 years now. Uh-huh. And, or, you know, he just adjusts everywhere we go. He t- it takes him a day or two. And within a day or two, he's fine. Doesn't matter how small, how big, how. Yeah, he's, he's always good. That's amazing. Awesome. Dogs are the best. They're sure. the best. They're the best. They're the best. So mini story. We're here in Maine, like we said, at my brother's house, and my my family came to visit my mom, dad, and and sister, and and my brother has a dog. My sister has yeah. a dog. My dad has a dog. And then we, had, <laughs> we had four dogs running around here the past few days. It was. It's been hilarious. It's been <laughs> such a good time watching them play and interact. Oh. They all get along. Yeah. 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 One of them's get a little older and a little grouchier, so he just barks at everyone. But yeah, they all yeah. get along. How old is uh is Jetty? Jetty's seven. Oh, okay, perfect age. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Still a puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like more but more mature still. Like the seven is prime prime because I know um you have the friends and, and people and, and, and the couple that I had on the show uh, a few weeks back, Bo and Brandy, and their dog, I believe, is like 12 or, or something along those lines, I right? she's almost 13. Yeah, she's she, Una. We love Una. Jetty and Una get along well, too. They've had some sleepovers on the boat together, so <laughs> they're good friends. We love Una. That's funny. You should start like some sort of a dog community on boats type thing. Have like babysit. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, there's a Facebook group for everything. Yeah. 
So, I mean, so yeah, so maybe take me through kind of, you know, what's a regular day on a boat? You know, I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of like filming, editing, uh, maintenance, fixing, you know, food, that kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah. And, and every day is a little bit different. I mean, we have our days where, um, they're just straight up activity days. We're going on a hike, we're going spearfishing or fishing, we're just going exploring. And then we have our days where we literally are just sitting on the boat all day, just editing and getting all our emails done, stuff like that. And, um, we, and then sometimes we have a little bit of a mix. And we try to kind of let the weather depict what our day is going to be done. Yeah. Uh, we're either, if it's nice and sunny, we're like, okay, and it's calm, we'll go dive. If it's nasty out, we'll be like, okay, it's a perfect day to sit in the boat all day long and just edit. Um, so it kind of depends on the weather. Yeah, so I guess we'll, you know, we wake up, you know, brush our teeth, eat some breakfast or, or walk jetty on the beach first and eat some breakfast. And then, yeah, we'll get into it. We'll either, uh, you know, get into some computer work or we'll load up the dinghy with all our spear fishing and fishing stuff. And we'll just start heading out and exploring. And of course, we have the cameras with us, you know, GoPros and, you know, our regular camera. And yeah, just kind of film what we're doing for that day. And uh, in the Caribbean, there were a lot of great waterfall hikes and stuff like that. So we might plan something, you know, like a big, long waterfall hike. But in the Bahamas, we were always doing some sort of diving or something. But we're generally, like as good as that sounds, we're generally on the computer at least half the day, six days a week. Um, and sometimes late into the night, sometimes super early in the morning. It's it's a full time job as on the internet and especially like maintaining the boat and then we have to go film the, the things that we're editing so it's it's a big mix but yeah it's a fun mix that's yeah fun. yeah and it's good to, for people to know it it's not like once you go on the boat it's this tropical heavenly um, dream that you just get to sit back and drink uh, cocktails all day. It's, it's work and you still have to sustain yourself and you still, I mean, what do you do for, for food? Do you, do you fish for the most part or do you kind of do half fishing, half maybe getting it from the islands? It kind of depends where we are. Um, in the Bahamas, the primary food that we're eating is fish. Uh, in the Caribbean, we're eating a lot of lobster. It depends on the area and how the yeah. fish is around. But and, and we're catching all that ourselves, basically. But then, yeah, we still go to the grocery store. We try to go like once every two weeks and get as much like fruits and vegetables that we can. Um, we have like a little freezer, so we'll put whatever we can in there, and then. Yeah hopefully catch the rest ourselves we're growing some sprouts on the boat because sometimes like nice. in the bahamas it's hard to get like uh fresh leafy greens over there so just yeah. make one yeah and what do you do you do spear fishing yeah oh yeah or fishing like rod and reel we'll do we prefer spear fishing um but we'll do anything really but when when we're sailing we'll always be trolling a couple lures behind the boat you know to catch some of the blue water fish just if they happen to be there we'll you know we'll catch the mahi or black tuna or something like that but then when we're in the bahamas we're generally spear fishing um yeah and in the caribbean the past year our main food source was lobster yeah a lot of oh. caribbean lobster yeah oh how much better does it taste when you catch it and make it on the boat than like at a restaurant or, so, or like when you buy it from the supermarket? Yeah. It's so satisfying. It's so, yeah, it's the freshest you can get. Literally just pulled out of the water right there. Like, yeah. an ago. And it, honestly, it makes going and getting food at a restaurant like really difficult because you get it and you're like, yeah, well, we made this better last week. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's... Um... <sighs> I remember when we were, and, and it, like, that, this was the first for me, but we were on the boat. My friend, he caught this massive tuna. And um, 
I remember eating and like the whole process was like, uh, it was like a little too bloody for me. But, but I remember when we, when he made it for us and, and when we ate it, I still remember that as I can say, it was one of the top five culinary events of my life. It was just, I've just never tasted anything like that. It was, it wasn't even close to anything I've had at, at a restaurant or, you know, bought from the supermarket. It just, it wasn't even close. Yeah, it's, and you know it's fresh, and you know, yeah, it's that's amazing. It's straight from the sea. I'm the same way. Like I, I'd much rather like all of these animals be alive, like in the ocean, so we can go look at them. But I yeah. know, like, especially spearfishing, it's the most sustainable way you could get any sort of food. So I know that we're doing it ourselves. We're doing it the right way. We're following the regulations. So it makes me feel good. And then, yeah, you don't have to go to the grocery store and buy a fish that you don't know how it was caught or. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, you never know, right? Like when when they do industrial fishing, they'll just grab up anything in this massive net. And I just feel like this is probably the best way. Most people probably can't do it, but if you can, this is probably the best way to get your food. Definitely, definitely. There's no bycatch. Literally no yeah. bycatch. Even if you're fishing on a boat with rod and reel, you might have some bycatch. And you know, that that fish that you're not gonna keep may or may not survive. Um, but but yeah, with spear fishing, you don't have that. Um, it, you, you don't know. always get something, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you know? Because I, I saw one video where I, I don't even know what fish this was, but you were, you, you know, you had gloves on because like, I think you said like it's it's either poisonous or something about when you touch the fish, you could, something oh, could happen. Fish. Yeah. Like how do you have all, again, is this something that you, you researched or people told you or. Um, really just growing up fishing, I guess, our, our parents, um, and I went to school for marine bio, so I know a lot of the fish okay, okay. growing up, Yeah, um, but yeah, just an experience really like lionfish is one of those things where you, you hear about if you're going to go diving, um, and learning how to fillet and eat it. Actually, I just looked it up on YouTube really. Yeah. For, for a bit longer because I wasn't familiar with any of the fish down in Florida or the Bahamas or anything like that. So it was, it was a learning curve for me. Like I would see, you know, some bigger fish and then I'd try to remember what they look like and, you know, ask Sierra or look it up in our fish, our fish book and identify them and then kind of learn what are the good eating fish and, and what are not, you know, the good eating fish. So definitely a learning curve for me, but yeah. And so the lion fish are, they're everywhere down there and they're an invasive species in that part of the world. So you really? can, you know, and, but they're really good to eat. So, you know, as long as you don't get stuck with one of their spines, then, uh, you know, they're great. They're, you're doing the environment a favor by killing them. Um, and you're feeding yourself. So two wins. all around. So what humans brought them over at some point or how did they get there? I think I, uh, if I can remember correctly from school, I'm pretty sure someone brought them over for like a like a big fish tank because they're pretty and they're in a lot of the fish tanks at like people's houses and restaurants. Oh. And I think someone let it go and they just exploded everywhere. Yeah, it just took over because I don't think they have any natural predators. Really, no, yeah, that's the other us. thing. They were trying to teach like um, I saw an experiment where they were trying to teach sharks to eat them and they would do it every once in a while. Like if you were like cutting them up and sticking them in the face but they weren't going and eating them on their own. So now they're trying to um, really educate people and let them know that you can eat them and how to care for them carefully and how to cook them. And now you can actually find lionfish on restaurants in Florida. Um, I'm not sure if they've 
been anywhere else, but they're trying and they do like um, lionfish derbies where you go out and spearfish them and whoever gets the most like wins a big prize. So they're doing a lot of work to let people yeah. know that. Get and out. what and what do they kill? What what uh, species do they kill? The lionfish. They eat all the baby reef fish, so they like hang out on the reef and eat all the juveniles, like so they everything. can't grow. Yeah, so if they're like taking over a reef, that reef's going to be dead pretty quickly. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're probably making headway and getting rid of those yeah things. it's definitely making progress and like um a couple of years ago we would have seen lionfish everywhere in the bahamas but now this year it wasn't too bad in the caribbean it wasn't too bad um but yeah people are working on it yeah i feel like we're all we you know us humans we always try to intervene and we think we're like smarter than nature so we always do these things and then it always ends up uh, hitting us back in the face. It was, it was the, the, the famous story in Australia where they brought the toads over because I think they wanted them to eat some pest that was eating their, their crops. And then these frogs just multiplied to the point where they couldn't control them anymore. And now you have like half of Australia just overrun with these toads that they can't kill anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just listened to a podcast last night and they were talking about the same thing with wolves in Colorado and yeah. uh, you know same sort of same sort of deal they want to reintroduce wolves in Co Colorado because that's where they naturally were but then you know they're talking about well you know they're just going to explode in population and then cause all these problems that they had in the past so yeah just yeah. foreseen things and they're yeah. uh, crazy story along this line i think it was in australia as well um there was a type of starfish that was like harming the reef and they were trying to get rid of them so they picked them all up chopped them into tiny little pieces and threw them back in the water but they didn't realize that as long as you have i think three legs on a starfish they can regrow so they literally just like quadrupled the population and yeah, it was really bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's always these stories there was another one on i forget what island it was but they basically they had these beautiful birds there and they, but they had rats um i think it was rats or, or mice that were eating the eggs of these uh beautiful birds so they couldn't repopulate so like all right like, let, let's get cats so they brought the cats and the cats decimated all the all the mice but they ended up killing the birds as well <laughs> so it was uh -huh. like yeah it's like you just have to let nature, I think, take its course. You know, wow. you can't you can't play God too much because it just it, it doesn't end up boating too well for us eventually. Yeah, yeah, we can't foresee everything that's going to yeah. happen. So, I mean, as as far as like learning, you know, when I see and and I saw this as well when we, when we were on the boat, there's so much like sea etiquette that is involved. <laughs> is this something that you know again like you kind of learned on, on as as you went and also like did you have like you know times where you potentially fucked up and you just my bad man i didn't know this was the etiquette type of situation yeah i can't think of any great examples in terms of etiquette i mean definitely learning on a sailboat you know you, you i've messed up a ton and you learn um but but there are some i mean if you just start reading about it, you know, there's some great books and it talks all about that stuff. It's great. And some of this stuff is like, you know, it's kind of, kind of old etiquette, you know, outdated and stuff like that, but it still kind of applies and it's great to have that background. Um, for example, like, I, I guess maybe you could talk about like flag signaling or something like that. Like, or like etiquette in an anchorage. If you're like by yourself in a very secluded anchorage and it's a beautiful place, 
if you're coming up and somebody's already there, you probably don't want to go extremely close to them because they were in this beautiful place. They're there for a reason to be by themselves. By themselves. So if you yeah. go next to them they're going to be like what the heck you have all this other room and you come right next to us um and stuff like that majorly etiquette kind of goes into anchoring realm of like people doing too close or people not anchoring the right way and then dragging into you or people anchoring and then getting off their boat right away and not making sure that their boat is properly anchored so it doesn't drag into somebody else um but yeah, again, a lot of this stuff is in some of these books that you could read if you're just learning how to sail or, or you know, and stuff like that. Like you could get a good base for it in uh, in a lot of these books. And and one thing that or we watch your guys' videos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one thing we always try to make sure is that um, our boat always looks nice because in a lot of places, if in a lot of places, anchoring is free and they let you anchor wherever. But if people have a beautiful house on the water and they see a boat that has all this crap on it, they're going to cause a fuss and try to like change the laws in their town or not let these boats anchor where for us, that's like such an amazing thing that we're able to do. But if people aren't taking care of their, their boats or cleaning them up properly and they cause a scene, it kind of ruins it for everybody. Yeah. This has been a big problem in places like Florida and Georgia where they're really trying to eliminate, yeah, restrict anchoring in these areas. And it, it, it makes it difficult for people like us who cruisers passing through, you know, you, you are almost forced to pay to go to a marina or pay to go on a mooring. And sometimes that's not even an option. Um, and it's, if it is an option, especially in places like South Florida, it's really, really expensive. So you know, me and Sierra talk all the time about it because you see these like, you know, derelict boats or better half bo- sunk. So like, yeah, it kind of ruins it for the rest of, of people. So that is, yeah, I guess one piece of advice that we might have for someone getting into boating, just, you know, make sure your boat is, uh, is, is well maintained and it looks nice on the outside and it doesn't have to be a Bristol finish, but just, uh, yeah, keep it keep it tidy and anchored as well as you possibly can do (laughs) yeah i never that's not you know again it's something i never even would have thought of until you mentioned it it's one of those things that you can only know if you're living there yeah yeah when you start hanging out with cruisers and you know you start talking with them you'll learn what you know what are the issues and how how can you be uh, on the right side of those those yeah it's kind of like having like a you know a scary house in the neighborhood where you're like all oh, the kids like don't want to go anywhere near like oh that house is sketchy I don't know they they don't know they don't maintain the lawn and they don't there's all this crap out in the, in the yeah <laughs> it's yeah. funny how humans are we want to we shy away from anything that looks kind of dinky and uh, and not kept regardless if it's on land or water yeah 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 it's true yeah so h- how much truth is it to the um, I've heard this many times. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. I mean, we say the saying all the time, but I never (laughs) put it together whether it's true or not. I think generally, like more times than not, that saying has proven to be true. Really? (laughs) I don't know. I don't. It's not like a hundred percent thing, and I don't know the reason why. I should know. I should know. Maybe because uh. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Weather flows. Uh, yeah, I can't even, I don't even want to put any wrong information out there, but I would say I have seen probably more times than not that that saying is kind of accurate. 
Uh, it's confirmed. It's confirmed, and it's accurate. Just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever made the quote, you were right. <laughs> Those salty sailors back in the day, they knew what they were talking about. That's all Dude, they had. Man, I, I, I think about it sometimes because, you know, you guys, you have like, uh, you know, you have uh, iPad and and, and, and uh, Nevionics and, and all these different tools and, and electronics and digital stuff. And, you know, back in the day, they had like, you know, 300 years ago, right? They had nothing. They were like on what, like these wooden boats with like some cannons maybe on them. And uh, I don't know, a few hundred slaves. And um, they didn't really, they didn't have all the the, the technology and they didn't really know. They, they kind of used the stars. They didn't know if a storm was brewing, you know, north. They didn't know much of anything. They kind of just had the expertise that they had. But, you know, how scary is it, do you think, would, would it be to just do that now with not really knowing anything, essentially? Uh, it'd be wild, man. Yeah, because you're, you're completely right. They If once they got, you know, if they navigated, they navigated by the stars. And then you talk about some of the cultures like in, in the Pacific, like ancient, the ancient Polynesians, they navigated by, uh, uh, from what I understand, like swell patterns, like they can see how swells start to behave as it approaches an island and they could kind of uh, really where, where they were based on those swell patterns and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, that's it. That's all they had is, is nature around them. It, I don't know. I don't know what that would be like. I mean, I guess back then you, do you know what you're getting yourself into? <laughs> but at the same time, it's kind of scary how they got there. But we say all the time, like, can you imagine being the first person to find like this beautiful place that we're in? Like they did a lot of work to get there, but they were also the first people to find some of the most beautiful places in the world. So yeah. I'm sure it was worth it for them. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> point. Like, because because we're used to all this modern technology and navigation um, instruments and stuff like that. It, for us, it'd be even more scary because, you know, I mean, there's something I always think about is redundancy. Like what if this thing broke, what if this iPad broke or whatever? I mean, we can, it's something that sailors and boaters in general should definitely always have in their mind. I mean, we have our backup GPS and we have our compasses and we know relatively where we are and then we have paper charts so if our if our digital stuff failed um we would have a general idea of where we are and what was around us um but at the, the same part. time how well can we read and navigate with those charts i know it's i mean it's <laughs> practice so you know too often so it would be it would be scary <laughs> I would love to see some, you know, just as, as even a, a small example, because obviously it's made technology has made all our lives substantially easier, but it's also a crutch in a way like me, for example, like if I don't have ways, I don't know where I'm going with the car. You know, like yesterday we drove up to, to do some hiking about an hour and a half away and we barely had any um, battery on the way back. I was like, oh shit, like we better stop at a, at a gas station and buy like a USB cord because I, we literally had no idea how to how to get back, right? And, and back in the day, I remember like, you know, I lived in, in Africa as a kid and my mom would be like the co-pilot and she'd be sitting next to my dad with the map and, and she'd be like looking at the map. All right, take a left here, take a right. And they would mess up. But eventually they got there, right? Like they always, they we always made it. And now I I, I honestly don't know if, if, if I could do it. Like I just don't. Like I'm just so used to this machine telling me exactly where to go and it's right 99% of the time. I don't, I don't think I could go back, you know, Same way. it's so true. I mean, we, I find myself even in places I'm super familiar with 
and I should know exactly where I'm going and how to get there. Like I still use Google Maps and I don't really pay attention. And you're completely right. Like I would, I don't know, some of these places where I should know where I'm going, I would get lost, you know, in the car. <laughs> but at least, but I wonder, like, like does that, it, having that technology, does that free us up in other ways? And, you know. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. It definitely, you know, it, it makes life easier for us. And then we can go and focus on, on other aspects of our life. But yeah, it's just, you know. I remember I used to remember all my friends' um, uh, phone numbers when I was a kid. Like, I don't know anyone. I don't even know my phone number. I forget it at times. <laughs> Billy, we've been together six years. He still doesn't know my phone number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're at this house in Maine, and they have a door code, and, and I memorized the door code. And she's like, how do you memorize this 10 door code? You don't memorize my phone. I was like, Sierra, I've had to enter this door code more times than I've ever had to dial. Yeah. Exactly. I actually had a situation a few years back where I got locked out of my house and I didn't have my, my, everything was in the house, like my cell phone. Like I just got, I was like, Oh no, what am I going to do? And uh, I knocked on the neighbor's uh, house and um, she was like, sure. Yeah, I can help you. And, and, and I was like, you know, I, I, I was going to call my wife and I was like, Oh my God, I don't remember the number. I'm like, what am I like I literally had no, I remember like four digits out of like the, the, the whole thing. I was like, ah, oh, shit, what am I going to do? So I ended up emailing her from this like foreign email that she had no idea. And I was like, this is Roy. I'm stuck outside. You know, don't don't reply back to this. But just if you could come home and just open the door. And after like, I think it was about an hour, I ended up actually sitting with the neighbor and getting to know her. So she was really nice. So that was a that was a coincidence. But yeah, I, I you know, if you're stuck with no. And that's why I mean, like a crutch, if you're stuck without this uh, machine next to you, you know, you're a liability. You're like, you, you can't, you can't get around. It's true. It's true. We, yeah, we probably rely on it a bit too much and yeah, especially in boating and sailing. I mean, I think, yeah, I didn't definitely encourage people to uh, just have your, have your redundancy and, you know, maybe practice with those paper charts. There is people, a lot of guys will, uh, you know, they have this thing called a sextant and that's what they use to navigate the star, you know, using the stars and the sun with. Yeah. And uh, people still practice that, you know, using celestial navigation. We've always wanted to uh, take a course, but we haven't yet. But uh, yeah, that's something we'd like to do. But that's great redundancy because then you literally need no technology. If you know how to do that, you have your sextant and your paper chart and you can plot where you are and where you're going and, you know, problem solved. (laughs) It would be cool if someone did like a, because you have the, the, uh, you have people that that sail around the world. It would be cool if someone did that kind of old school with just no machinery, no navigation, just old school like they did, you know, 300 years ago, 200 years ago. You mean actually do actually sailing around the world that way? Yeah. Just as a, I don't know, as an expedition. Yeah. Yeah. People, I'm sure some, a bunch of people do on their own, but we don't, we don't see because they're probably just not yeah. human. So, but yeah. There, there was a race recently because I think it was called the Golden Globe, and it was a re, it was a like a recreation of this race back in the sixties. It was um, uh, like the Golden Globe newspaper or something in the UK. I, I don't have all my facts straight on it, but they made this race, um, and it was in an attempt to get the first person to sail around the world solo, and they held this race. And I think one uh, there was like Motissier was the famous guy. And then, uh, I forgot the other guy. Anyway, just recently, I think they recreated this race like a year or two ago. 
And I think they may have made it because you had to be in these old school boats with, you know, none of this fancy technology and stuff like that. And they may, may have had it where you weren't allowed to use conventional um, navigation. They might have had to use extents. Wow. So I, I got to look into that. I know like their boats were old school. Like they didn't have like um, like electronic autopilots and stuff like that. It was all like wind vane autopilots and, and things like that. Dude, man, some people are brave, yeah, <laughs> really yeah. brave. It's a different world. You got to have a unique set of skills doing that. That kind. Yeah, of thing. you have to be like top, top level, right? Yeah, you you really invested in in yeah, and like really mentally way. sane. If you're doing that whole thing by yourself, or insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember a few years ago, I watched a documentary about this girl named Laura Deckers. I, I believe her name was, and she was like. 14 or 15 yeah and, uh, i think she's the youngest woman to to sail around the world right she was she, and on the one hand i was just in awe of, of her achievement but on the other hand i'm like ah oh, don't know like as a, like not that i am a parent but yeah as her parent i couldn't i couldn't imagine like okay you can go sail around the world by yourself like i'll stay here yeah. and i think he got some flack for it but i mean she ended up I mean, she was fine at the end, but you know, if if that would have gone uh, gone wrong, or something would have happened, you know, I don't know if he would he would uh, he would have been able to to forgive herself, uh, her, her dad. Yeah, yeah, it's that's a tough thing. But on on the other hand, like with that kind of thing, I mean, like if you're that, they're probably the whole family's probably so comfortable offshore on a sailboat, and they know, like you know, they know the things you have to do and you know they probably and then laura was probably brought up that way and just it's ingrained in her that if she's going on deck she needs to be clipped in and that you know like all, all these little rules that you need to follow to keep yourself safe so it in that you know if you look at it in that way i wonder if it's just as it, just the same way that like a teenager might start driving you know like as long as they follow these rules and they practice and and, you know, you have confidence that they know what they're doing and they're safe. Like, you know, maybe it's from, from us looking out outside, from outside looking in, it's like a very uneasy thing. But for them, maybe it's just as, as uh, simple as, you know, their teenager going out, you know, driving, driving a car. I do agree. But mother nature is, is. Well, that's the other thing. Crazy. But again, with modern technology, like you can really track weather systems and you know exactly where that boat is, um, you know at all times from from home you know with the track tracking and stuff like that so but if a storm did come yeah you're right i mean all i know is i have zero plans in the future to do anything by myself on a boat like, <laughs> <laughs> just company. i would go nuts yeah that's another thing it's just it's it's, it's like forget the you know, I mean, fifth. Uh, like, if I look at myself when I was fifteen, I was, you know, <laughs> I could, I, I, I'm, I was, I was retarded. I shouldn't have been able to. Do, like, no, no, I, you shouldn't give me any responsibility at fifteen. Like, the fact that she could do that at the age of fifteen with her, just the responsibility, the maturity that she has to have, the the strong mindedness to be alone. I don't, I don't remember how the how like. Um, how much time the whole thing lasted, but it must've been, I don't know, months. And just to be by yourself, majority of that time, you know, that's very difficult. It's kind of like, you know, even, um, I don't know when I, when I'm thinking about stuff that I do, if I go hiking by myself to have that clear mind for a few hours, is fine. But when it gets, you know, 
few days, a few weeks, a few months, and you're just by yourself, that's extremely difficult. More than probably like the actual technical aspect, just like you were right, Sierra, just like being by yourself for that extended period of time, extremely difficult, for especially at that age. I think people probably don't realize that. Like it, the majority, you know, if you're listening to this, when was the last time you were alone for you know, a day or two, like actually alone, not even, not even just alone, like by yourself in a coffee shop or whatever, just no contact, not even seeing anybody for two days. Well, like, a lot of people probably get an idea of that now because well, a lot of people true. have been stuck by themselves because of COVID. So that's I think true. a lot more people have an idea of what that is like. But they're probably still with family, right? They're still with like someone in the household or like, you know what? Not even alone. So ha- when was the last time someone, you, when was the last time you were bored, right? Like right. bored doesn't exist anymore because you're on your phone straight away, like within a second. But think about being completely alone and then quote unquote bored, like not being able to be on a computer or on the phone. 99% of people just have no idea what th- what that's like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's difficult. I mean, that's how I felt when, when I first left Long Island on that small sailboat and I sailed down the coast and I learned like, that was my first time I've ever been alone. And, you know, I was, I wasn't far off the coast. I wasn't open ocean, you know, for more than a day or, you know, a day. Um, but you know, I was by myself, like out in the Delaware Bay or the Chesapeake Bay or whatever. And I found like two days of it was okay. But by that third day, I really, Need like I needed to stop somewhere and just walk around town, like just be by. I didn't have to talk to anyone. I just needed to be by people. I was like, I don't know how these single-handed sailors do it for you know weeks and weeks and months at a time. But even for you by yourself, you weren't you know scared. You weren't. I mean, you had full confidence in yourself that you know in your abilities. I I don't I don't remember ever being scared. I knew that I was new to sailing, but I knew the basics enough to do it. And I did make mistakes, but when I made those mistakes, uh, it, I didn't have time to be scared. I was more, you know, I, I had something to do. I had to react quickly. So there was no time to be scared. Um, but yeah. Billy's always been like that. When something, when something that makes me scared, he's just like full on focused on whatever he needs to do to fix the reason that you would be scared. Right. There, like if there's action to be taken you know, it's important to be level-headed and and to know that action and then to take it. And if there's not any action to be taken, then there's time to be scared. Like uh, in, in our, you know, we've been in lightning storms before. And in those scenarios, like there's, once you take your sails down, if a big squall is coming, if there's no more action to be taken, like you just gotta, you just gotta understand that there's nothing you can do. So you know, just try not to be scared. Just try not to think about it or whatever. That's what I tell myself. At least there's literally nothing I can do. So, you know, no point in being scared. <laughs> like yeah. it's going to happen. <laughs> and I feel like it's a good analogy for life. I feel like if you, if you do the work and if you have confidence that you did everything that you can to prepare for that moment, whatever moment that, you know, that you're going through in life, that, that potentially has fear involved in it or some consequences involved in it, as long as you did the work and you're confident, I feel like that's 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 the most important because you'll probably be able to, you know, for lack of a better term, like breeze or sail through that, you know? I, 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 I had something similar in the beginning. Like when I started the podcast, I was, I was you know, I was, I was the first episodes, I was definitely anxious and, and kind of scared to, to, to talk to people. And, um, but I felt like as long as I did 
good amount of research and I was prepared, like it would be fine. And, you know, first few episodes were horrific. I was really, really bad. And, um, and I'm still, it's, it's still a work in progress. I'm still evolving. I'm sure two years from now I'll look back and I'll be like, Oh, that was horrible. That was really bad. But, you know, so it's a work in progress, but as long as I feel like I do the work and the research and I'm confident, I feel like that's all I can do. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And you're learning along the way. So you're just yourself. Yeah. And talking to cool people. So it's a win-win. I mean, do you guys have any, any, any big plans? Like, you know, when you get the new boat, maybe going, uh, crossing the Atlantic or the Pacific, going to the Mediterranean or some other places. I think the direction that we'd like to take with the new boat is, uh, we'll probably stay on the East coast for a little bit to get familiar with it. Um, and then we want to go towards the Western Caribbean, which is more like uh, Panama, Costa Rica, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. I mean, depending on the state of those countries at the time, but Panama, definitely. And then even cross through the Panama Canal and go to the West side of Central America. From there, um, you know, jet with jetty, it's really hard to cross that ocean because you get to like French Polynesia and Australia and New Zealand. And those are all countries where you can't, re- we can't realistically bring jetty because they either do not allow dogs straight up or you have to quarantine for like two months and yeah. she's rescue. So she doesn't do well without us in the first place. So it just wouldn't be fair to do that to her and we wouldn't go anywhere without her. So we're just going to figure out places we can go with her in the meantime. So, yeah. So we're thinking like West, the West side of Central America, and then even possibly up the whole West coast of, um, you know, Mexico and, and the United States. And I mean, between all of that, we could literally spend five years doing that and, yeah. and still not have seen everything. Yeah. And we could always cross over the Atlantic and go to the Azores. <laughs> there's definitely, there's places we have no solid plans really. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I feel like the the other side of the mid of uh, the Atlantic is, is beautiful. That's where, that's where, you know, I did a little, little bit, tiny bit of, sp- of sailing and um, that whole area is, is just absolutely beautiful. We've heard amazing things about the med and, and Greece and, you know, the Greek islands and stuff like that. Just amazing. And we'll, we'll get there someday. Croatia, my friend, he he keeps going to Croatia. He says it's unbelievable. So we we've heard that as well. We met a guy from Croatia when we were down in the Caribbean, and he just he kept talking about it, and it just sounds like an amazing place. Um, is that is that something you would, you know, how do you mentally prepare for that, or you just do it as far as crossing the the Atlantic? Well, at this point, so when we were um, during COVID, we were in the USBIs and we were trying to get back to Florida. So we actually had to stay on the boat for 14 days, like in crossing from um, St. Thomas to Florida. And generally a sail from the US over across the Atlantic takes around 14 days. So now I'm more mentally prepared, I think, because I can tell myself we've been alone on the boat, like offshore for that amount of time. Um, yeah, but it's still that, a lot of planning and weather and safety. That trip wasn't supposed to take that long. It would have taken seven to nine days, but we did have to anchor to wait out some weather, but we were still basically stuck on the boat, you know, for the whole time. Um, What's yeah, the best time to, to do that? It's like, as far as the year. Um, going, going across from the U S across, I think they say that late, uh, springtime, I, I've heard, is the best because 
Um, you know, once you get into late spring into summer, that begins hurricane season, June 1st or July 1st, depending on who, who you ask. Um, but like, I've heard like around April, May is a good time to do that, that run. April, May. Again, that would take more, a lot more research on our, on our, to really know that for sure. And then exactly what route we would take. But yeah, I think it'd be really neat to, have you ever heard of the Azores? Yeah. Yeah, like uh, yeah. right, basically in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, it would be amazing to check check out that area. They're owned by Portugal. Yeah, there's um, there's so many of these little islands. I mean, w- when you get there, they're not that little, but like on the map, you just don't even see them. They're just right. everywhere, everywhere. It, like I, I when I, because I, lo- I love looking at maps, and every time I'm like, oh wow, there's a whole like cluster of islands here that you, I've never even heard of. Right. hundred percent. And then you're right. And then when you get there, like they're not that small, like no. they're pretty big. <laughs> yeah. And it just goes to like show you how big the actual places that you do see, like someplace like even like the U.S. The U.S. is humongous. Like I come from such a small country and like to, to you know, when I got to New York and then when I went to like, I don't know, California or some of the like Utah, it's like I I've seen. I like I I go to one place and then I'm like, dude, I haven't even seen like a half a percent of the state yet. They just I could literally, I don't know, keep traveling to the same state my whole life and probably not see everything. It's just it's just that big. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. Same with these islands down in the Caribbean. Like we saw like barely any of it. It's almost it's almost disappointing. I mean, I'm so <laughs> in the places we have seen, but it's like ah, oh, like should we have seen more? Like we were there. Like you know, it's yeah. hard. It's hard to see everything. No, there's so much. Yeah, that's that's I think one of my problems. Like I always want to see more, and I'm just I'm like I, I think at some point you have to realize, all right, you have to like prioritize where you want to go and what you want to see because you're just you're not going to be able to see everything in, in your life. It's just that's not possible. It. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, just prioritize it. That's a good way to go about. Yeah. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much. I, I had a blast. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much. Hey, this is awesome, Roy. Thanks so much for having us on. It's yeah, great to meet you. you, and you know, it was awesome to chat with you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Where uh, where can people find you guys on uh, social media? What's the preferred uh, places? Um, you can generally find us anywhere. Uh, Tools on the Summer. So that's YouTube, Instagram, um, our website, toolsonthesummer.com. And yeah, where else are we? Billy's been tinkering in the TikTok world, but oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you're over 30, which I am, like, I, I just can't get like Snapchat, TikTok. Like, I just, I can't do it. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. I'm too old. I, when we hang out with like our friends, kids and stuff, I just quiz them on, on these young people. <laughs> these platforms. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <what do> you <laughs> want? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to put um, all the channels in the show notes, make it easy for everyone to find and guys, make sure you do follow them. They have, really awesome videos and maybe you'll be inspired to go do something similar. You never know. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, Thank you, Roy. Yeah. I had a pleasure. We'll be in touch. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.